I believe community is the umbilical cord to our existence. It is where all that we need for a nurtured life rests. Staying connected to a community that keeps you strengthened through this thing we call life is essential. Your journey to finish strong starts now. Welcome to Finishing Strong with Erica Strong. I am Erica Strong. I'd like to start this journey off by just introducing you to me, why Finishing Strong, what made me even decide to take on this journey to help others finish strong. Well, for me, it started in some of the roughest spots in my life, spots that I just thought there was no way that I could make it through. And for the few that has uh, had to endure a divorce, I think you can pretty much understand a lot of what I am about to share. So I am married, or was at the time. I had three daughters that were very young. And my husband at the time just started to withdraw. He started not wanting to talk to me anymore. Everything was so defensive. There was this contention in the air that I never could kind of put my finger on. I knew there was a problem, just didn't know what and how to fix it. In my distress, I tried to get outside help with counseling through church, counseling through private counselors, just trying to find the root of what's going on with my former best friend. Like the, he, we were best friends to one day just not speaking to me at all. Well, we never got to the bottom of it. And he left for um, a business trip. He was working for an airline at the time. And so, you know, he fly out a lot to go to different stations. And then when he left, the, the, the last time he told me he was going to be going for training for two weeks. So I just assumed training, perfect. You'll be back in two weeks. Our daughter was just before she turned one. I don't even think she was one yet. Two weeks passed and I'm talking to him on the phone and I, he left with this whole, you know, contentious kind of feeling. So I still felt un, unstable about him leaving at such a vulnerable time for our relationship, especially since I didn't know what was going on and what was happening and so after he left he was gone for two weeks and you know whenever we would talk it would be very short like you know how's the baby okay work is fine bye that would be it so at the end of the two weeks i am now getting a little stressed out because it's a lot to run a business i'm a business owner to have a small child and to have two you know school-aged children all by myself that was a lot so the last conversation I had with him, because it was right at two weeks and just probably like a day or two beyond two weeks. And I asked like, so when are you coming home? This is a lot for me, you know, just getting our baby to daycare and back to my business that just had become too overwhelming for me. And the words that he said, still, even as I repeat them now, just send chills up my body because I could not believe that someone could say 
these words and be so cold. He said, well, you know, I decided I'm not coming back. I was devastated. I really didn't think I was hearing him correctly and I had to make him repeat it. Wait, wait a minute, what, are you, what, did, what did you just say? I'm not coming back. And I think I was fishing for words when he said it because I was, it was, I was speechless to, to form a sentence that really made sense. So just off of my senses, I'm sitting in our bedroom and I'm looking around and I'm, he's, his, his, his cologne is still on the dresser. His clothes are still hanging in the closet. He still have a drawer full of clothes. Like, what do you mean you're not coming back? You didn't pack as a person that was leaving for good. And I, the, so the first question or first thing that I can say when he said it was, so wait a minute, what about your things? And there was a silence. And I'm waiting to, what? This is a joke. What about your things? He said, well, you know, I have what I need. Sell what you can and the rest give it to goodwill because I'm not coming back. That started the deepest spiral of depression and hurt and guilt and the feelings of abandonment and feelings of not enough, not good enough. I just, I mean, I can't even describe to you the deepest level of depression that that took me to because all I could think was who is it who is she because clearly it had to have been something or someone because I couldn't have been that bad of a person that you would want to just leave me and never come back never even give me the dignity and the respect to say you know what Erica to my face this isn't working so I am gonna just leave I didn't even get that. Just a phone call and a, oh, by the way, I'm not coming back answer. So needless to say, that period in my time took me to some of the darkest places I had never thought that I would reach. So dark that I spent days in the bed just crying now at this time my daughters have no idea what's going on so we have one that's a baby that's probably right at one if she was if she was one yet and then the other two was one was middle school and one was um elementary school so they kind of knew something was not right but they just assumed that mommy just didn't feel well so i let them think that because i could not bear to utter the words that he's not coming back because I didn't want them to feel what I was feeling. I was feeling lost. I was feeling hopeless. I was feeling like my world had just eroded under me. Now, what am I supposed to do? And so, of course, days on days, I spent in the bed crying, barely able to get up to get them off to school, barely able to lift my head off the pillow. And once I did get them off to school, my routine was to come back home, cover my head under the covers and just cry like a baby until it was time for me to get up, get dressed, put on my mask of my makeup and go to work. All while I'm still caring for 
the one-year-old that has to now get to daycare. And I remember one day she started, you know, being able to verbalize her words a little bit better where you could hear them. And I was crying one day and she was laying beside me while I was crying, but she was crying like a baby would. Maybe she needed to be changed or maybe she needed uh, a bottle or something, but she was crying for her own needs. But as she was crying, she started crying saying, I want my dad, dad. I want my dad, dad. And as she was crying and saying that, that made me cry even harder. Because little did she know, that's exactly why I was crying. I could not understand or even get my, wrap my brain around the idea that he's not coming back. But he couldn't even say that to my face. We couldn't even have sat down like two people that were friends and had this conversation. Was I not worth that much? So this went on for months, 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 months at a time. And I, I, I went into this depression that I really was like, I lost myself. Like it would be days that I would go without eating and didn't even realize that I had not eaten anything. I literally would have to think about when was the last time I ate? Oh my God, that was two days ago. Let me eat something. I had no appetite. People thought that I was anorexic. Like they thought that I was just, you know, vomiting my food back up. They didn't know what was going on. And I wasn't telling anybody because I just didn't know what to say. And for me, my career for a long time was a professional hairstylist and I owned a hair salon. So for anyone that has a a hairstylist or a barber that you see for on a regular basis that you have built a relationship with, you know that your professional stylist or barber does life with you. There is not a thing typically that you have had to deal with that you didn't either either mention it to your barber or your barber or your hairstylist doesn't know. We do life with you guys. When you go to uh, weddings, we're right there. When you have graduations and births and deaths and every little aspect of your life, 90% of the time, you guys see us first. So with a job with that much responsibility, I couldn't afford to lay all of my problems on my clients. I couldn't afford to make my clients feel my pain because I was always the listening ear. So I would put my mask on pretend like I was okay, and I would cry all the way to work. Sit in the parking lot, dry my face, fix my makeup, and put on this fake smile and listen to everybody's issues and problems. Wow. How many of us does that? Like, life is beating the hell out of you. And all you can do is pretend like you're okay, knowing deep inside you are crushed. I felt like if I could describe it to an artist to, to paint me at, at that point in my life, I would have told the artist to paint my face the way that you see it with a, as a mask, moving it out of the way and seeing that same face in little tiny shattered pieces as if somebody walked up to a piece of glass with a hammer and just knocked it to pieces because that's exactly how I felt. I didn't know which way I was going or which way I was coming because I was in deep, dark pain. Every day I would contemplate, why am I still living? 
the pain was just way too hard for me to understand how somebody can live through such a deep, dark hurt, rejection and abandonment and just all of those those dirty, dark thoughts kept reminding me of why I wasn't enough and I just should not, I didn't deserve to live anymore. I remember standing in front of the medicine cabinet because I still didn't have the heart to just take his things out and throw them out because I just, I really thought that this was a dream. He was coming home and he was going to apologize for hurting me that way. And we would do counseling, of course, and then live happily ever after. So I didn't, I never moved anything for months. So that was another part of my aggravation that I know now because I was torturing myself seeing his stuff every day. So I was standing in front of the medicine cabinet and I saw some pills that he had from um, a knee surgery that he had had um, maybe a year, year or two before. And I stood there and I read his name on the pill um, pill bottle and I thought, you know, I should take these pills. I should just take these pills. I should just end my life right now. And I should use his pills to do it because he's the one that has hurt me. Thank God I was standing in front of a mirror when I said it. Because I said it. And as I said it, I looked at myself in the mirror. And as I'm staring at myself in the mirror with this reality that I really want to end my life. My daughter walks in the room. Mommy, I have a question. And that just took my mind away from that thought. And I thought, oh my God, what was I just thinking about? I have children that need me. So with all of this deep, dark pain, I literally just kept floating through and not really trying to do anything to to help get me out of it because I felt like I'm supposed to feel like this. Who calls his wife and says, I'm not coming back home? Who does that? So as I float through my miserable, sad, dark life, by now it's about three or four months and I am in this routine of just crying, not eating, being depressed, just everything that you can imagine that goes with um, being devastated. So once I started to just kind of wrap my brain around it i slowly but surely started taking his things out of the house i slowly but surely started you know finding what i considered a new normal now i resisted the normal trust me i wasn't just willingly doing it it was a fight throughout the whole process but i remember being so overwhelmed one time and i'm originally from baltimore and i was living in georgia at the time And I remember being so overwhelmed that the thoughts of not having my life anymore just kept consuming me. I decided to just get in the car, pack up the girls, pretend like we're going on this adventurous road trip and drive to Baltimore because I needed to be around my family who loved me and did not care. Because what I didn't tell you is when he left, I found out maybe a couple weeks later that he had left with an R&B singer that he met while he was at work. And because he was able to travel freely through the world, because he worked for an airline, he traveled and met her as much as he could while I thought he was at work. 
So if that wasn't hurtful enough, this is a celebrity that sings and I hear, and I was really a fan of this celebrity and I would hear her music and just, you know, um, would just de be devastated. I think that's probably the best word that I can say. But in that, I remember walking into Marshall's one day and one of her songs was playing as I was opening the door. And I promise you, if you were a, a customer in that store, you would have thought, this lady is bananas. Because I think I tore out the, the store so fast because I just did not want to hear her voice. I just did not want to hear her song. I just did not think I wanted to have my mind think like that because I'm finally out of the house. I decided to just go to Marshall's and find something, some dresses for my daughters. And that's the first thing that I walk into. So I decide I got to get away. So I pack up my car. And I drive to Baltimore. And the entire time that I'm driving, while the girls are awake, I'm singing, I'm laughing. Remember that mask that I told you about? That mask is always on. So when I look back and see that the girls are asleep and nobody can hear me because they are knocked out, I ball. I am crying so hard that I can barely see as I'm driving. And it's starting to become night. And then I'm by myself and I, it, the thought hits me. I've never made this drive by myself before. What am I supposed to be doing on the road this late with my daughters? Have I lost my mind? And my mind went right back to, I'm not coming back anymore. Right as I started thinking that, I'm driving across a bridge coming from Georgia to South Carolina. So like as you're driving up to Maryland, it's like you go from Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia and so on and so I'm coming across this huge bridge and just as I'm coming across the bridge is when I'm thinking like why am I doing this I cannot do this by myself and I thought I should just run over this bridge end it all for myself and even my daughters how selfish I cannot take their life away just because I'm in pain how selfish of me. I cannot take my life away from them because I'm in pain. So just as that sobering thought hit me, I cried out to God. I said, God, this is too much. It's too heavy. I cannot breathe without thinking about it. I can't even form a full sentence without wanting to just burst out in tears and yell and scream. God, this is too much. You said that you wouldn't put more on me than I can bear. This is too much. And right as I'm crying and I'm talking to God and asking him, you said all things work for the good of those that love you. Now show me the good in this because I cannot find any good in it. This is too painful. And this was my first time ever experiencing this. And I'm not trying to get like, you know, weird on you or hokey pokey or whatever you call it. But I honestly was having a conversation with God. Now there wasn't this big loud voice that stormed down out of the sky and told me what to do. There was this inside conversation that I knew wasn't my thoughts. So I knew that that was a direct conversation that I was having with God. Because when I said, what am I supposed to do with this? The, that conversation came back to me with help other people. And I thought, and because I, I answered out loud, like I heard the thought and I said out loud, now how am I supposed to help other people? I am a mess. Uh, excuse me, remember, I'm the girl that just tried, wanted to drive off the bridge a second ago. 
I am not in any position to help anybody. Please help me understand how I would be able to help anybody. That's not going to happen. And then the same voice, which I understand and know to be God, said that if you help other people, you will heal. Wow. And it was nothing else. Because I pondered that thought. When I help other people, I will heal. What? What does that even mean? So as I was driving, all I kept regurgitating is that help other people and you'll heal. Help other people and you'll heal. And then it, it brought me back to a book that I had started reading right before I started the trip. And the book was a book by Joyce Myers, um, Battlefield of the Mind. And I remember one sentence in that book that changed my life forever. But it wasn't until I got to Baltimore that I continued reading and found this sentence. Because once I got to Baltimore, my sister whisked my children off and let me go somewhere and just hibernate and cry and be human and feel the pain that I was feeling without any judgment and no one were asking me questions. They just knew that I needed to be there and I needed to be safe. So I started, I continued reading Joyce Meyer's book, The Battlefield of the Mind. And that one sentence said, the battle is won or lost in your mind first. Whoa. In my mind, my mind is where the battle could be won or lost. Hold up. Let me dissect this thought. So I can lose the battle by the thoughts that I have in my mind. Well, that makes sense because all the thoughts I had in my mind, I wanted to end my life. But I could win the battle by changing the thoughts in my mind. Oh, well, then I need to know what thoughts I need to think. So from then, I started reading everything that I can get my hands on about changing the way that you think. And it brought me back to a scripture that said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Oh, my God, this made so much sense. So the more that I think about something, regurgitate it and feel it in my heart, that is what I become. So I thought about the abandonment. I thought about the rejection. I thought about the embarrassment. I thought about the hurt, the pain, the darkness. And I have become that because my actions wanted me to take my life away. But then as I started reading and started seeing that if I find things to be grateful for, if I find things to, to hold that space of gratitude, even if it's the smallest thing, I'm grateful that I don't have a gray hair today. I don't know. Finding something to change the, the narrative that I had going on in my head for all of those months, then my life would change. I found a nugget. It was like a light bulb went off in my head and I needed to find other people to tell us to. And you know why I need to find other people? Because remember, as a professional hairstylist, I had a gang of people that needed to understand this truth based on the conversations they would have with me when they were getting their hair done. So I called back to Georgia and I told my assistant, I had a list of names. I said, and I thought about every person. It was almost like, 
um, a storm of conversations just started coming up in my head. Just like coming up in my head, like thinking about, oh, she just told me about this. And she just told me about that. And she just told me about that. And so I wrote down all the names of all the people that have been talking to me. And I called my assistant. I said, call these people. Tell them to meet me back at the salon on this date. Buy Joyce Meyer's book, The Battlefield of the Mind. Meet me there. Would you believe that when I got back to Georgia, every woman was there and with their book? Nobody asked any questions when my assistant called and said, meet her back there. They showed up. We started a group therapy session in my salon on a day that we were closed around the battlefield of the mind. We started the, every session with this space that we sit in is sacred. Anything that we share in this space is, is intimate and it's private and it does not leave the space. In this space, you are free to take off your mask, show your scars, show your pain, show your hurt, because this space is where it's going to be healed. And oh my God, I got, I have chills just saying that right now because the conversations and the tears and the, the joy and the laughter and the hugs and the support that came through this group of people that were meeting around the battlefield of the mind and changing the way that they think started to explode every week that we had a new session somebody was bringing somebody else with them and there was women coming from everywhere just to be a part of this session i didn't even know what to call it that just was a group therapy session it was helping other people to see their way out but I had to share that with you because I remember, remember my routine was to cry and to forget to eat and put my mask on. I remember standing in the mirror one day right after um, one of my, well, we had a session that night. The next day I was doing my makeup. Now, let me tell you, after the sessions, even after the sessions were over, people were not leaving. They were standing around talking to each other you know, continuing the conversations with each other. A lot of times I would have someone call me and I'm talking to them all the way when I get home. I almost had to like, okay, I'm home with my daughters. Got to stop this conversation. But I realized that I changed my attention and I took it off of me and I started helping other people. And so that morning I'm doing my makeup like I normally would. And I, it shocked me. I stopped like, Oh my God, I am not crying. It had become such a routine that crying, I was so used to doing my makeup, wiping it off and trying to fix it because I kept crying and messing it up. But this day, I, my mind was so on the conversations and how to help other women to get that light bulb that I had gotten and to understand and changing the narrative that they say to themselves will change their lives. I forgot that I was sad. <laughs> I forgot that I was depressed. I forgot that I was left and abandoned. And I forgot because I changed the way I thought about it. I changed it and then I decided to forgive him without him even asking me to forgive him. Here's how I came to the forgiveness. So, of course, we're still married. He just decided to leave. But... A few months after my epiphany has come and now I'm not crying anymore, 
here comes this whole little test to how well I'm going to hold up in my thoughts. And Essence Magazine published an article announcing their engagement. But we were still married. Oh my goodness. Devastated again. He's getting what? I'm still his wife. How could this even be possible? Why would he let things like this happen to me? What have I done to him so bad that he would want to hurt me this way? So I sat down in front of my computer and I started writing the editor of Essence. And I started telling her that he's married. He has children that are old enough that can read this article. And they should check their sources before they would print anything like that. So I felt like I'm, I'm a, I feel like I'm a pretty good writer and I feel like I express myself well. And as I am at home alone and I am writing this um, to the editor and I'm telling you, my hands are shaking like a leaf. I don't even know how I was able to form a, a correct sentence, much less to get out um, a response. So I'm reading over it for my uh, grammar and right before I'm about to send it. Remember that voice that I told you about in the car that told me to help other people? <laughs> well, you know, it came back. So as I'm sitting there and I'm looking over my notes and reading over it to press send, all I heard was, I am your Avenger. And again, I, I responded out loud, wait a minute, what does that mean? I am your Avenger. And because I'm not a confrontational person, I honestly thought it was me talking myself out of sending it because I just didn't know what was going to happen once I pressed send. You know how everybody's into this whole reality kind of world and drama and, and scandals. I, just, I didn't know what was going to happen. And honestly, I didn't care. I just wanted them to understand that, hello, I'm here. I am a person who hurts and has pain and I'm not going to be the, the doormat that's going to keep being walked over. So I assume, you know what, Erica, that's just you send it. So as I am continuing to read over it, ready to send it, God said to me as clearly as I'm saying it to you, I am your Avenger. I love them too. And when I judge, I never ask who started it. That was the end of the conversation. So, of course, I sat in front of my words knowing for sure those were not my thoughts because my thought was revenge. My thought was to make it known that I exist. My thought wasn't that let God be your avenger because he loves them too. Wait a minute. You love them too. Do you see what they're doing? You can still love people that are hurting other people. You can still love people that in my righteous mind at the moment was doing things that biblically wasn't right you know so i'm thinking like how is that even possible but because i knew that those were not my thoughts i knew i couldn't ignore it so i sat there and i deleted every last word and i cried because i felt like i was being defeated i felt like i was lying down like a doormat again and i was not making myself hurt but i deleted those words and i held on to i love them too what do you mean by that kind of love? I need to learn that. And then that moment, I was already reading things to help me change the way that I think. 
Then I switched it and started reading everything about love. Everything that had to do with love. Love that was beyond our understanding. I wanted to know what was that kind of love. And as I started reading about that kind of love, it always took me straight to forgiveness. Right to forgiveness. Forgiving 70 times 7 a day. Forgiving as much as you can. Releasing the person from whatever it is that they have done to you that made you feel like you wanted to seek revenge or you wanted to do something back. Forgive. Let it go. Get it off your lap. Don't hold on to it. That was the beginning of finishing strong. But I didn't know it at the time. So stay tuned for part two because there's more. What I want you to get from this episode is that you change the way that you think. You will change your life. When love and forgiveness is the foundation, you will never lose. Love always wins. And love is not a doormat. Love is strong. Love is strength. And finishing strong with me, Erica Strong, will teach you just that. Be prepared for part two of this story. We are always finishing strong together.